guys, welcome back to She Is Becoming. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can find our episodes about hot topics in culture, doctrine, church history, personal testimonies, and more on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And make sure that you subscribe so you can receive notifications when we post a new episode. And make sure that you are following us on Instagram at She Is Becoming Podcast to catch additional resources, events we'll be at, and more. We do post some really great carousels on Instagram that gives a little more information about certain things that we've brought up in episodes, so go and check that out. Well, I am your co-host Delaney, and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. So Delaney, let's start out with our question. We always like Mm -hmm. to talk to each other kind of about what the Lord's doing in our lives and kind Mm -hmm. of let our audience get to know us a little bit. So what has been on a loudspeaker in your life? What's God been saying to you lately? I have one word. What? Repentance. Okay. <laughs> so let's just say. It's Love been a, your honesty, girl. So let's just say it's been a hard time for Delaney lately. No, it's been great. I feel like just as the Lord has been sanctifying me and working on me, I'm just, I am just, conf- I, I feel the need. Like, I'm like, I need to confess this and like, Sin is bothering me more than it ever has, and I feel more convicted over it. And, like, there's just been some major things that the Lord has brought to light in me that I'm like, I need to repent of this. You know what this is called? Spiritual growth. Oh, I was going to (laughs) say awful. (laughs) No, no, this is a good thing, Delaney. It is a good thing. It's a good thing. I've seen women come into, like, Bible study all of a sudden, and then they start to see their sin. They they start to weep over it. I mean, that, that is so beautiful. And... As we grow in our Christian life, uh, that's that should be happening to yeah. all of us. So, it's good. You're, you're blessed. It's good. I heard, but you're blessed. It is painful. <laughs> like, but there's been some really big things that have like been like strongholds in my life. Some of them I've seen, and some of them I've not seen in the way that I should have, or I just um, was desensitized to, or would just justify them. And so, there's been some like weeping over sin and deep grief over sin, which I think is good. I had a little bit of a hard time coming out of that and living in victory. But, um, one of my really good friends and mentors, um, really was like, you are a victor. Like you are free in Christ. You grieve your sin. Now we move on. Right. Right. Now, now we're, we're, we're not going to live in that. No. No, now you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and he will help you to walk a different path. Yeah, but don't, I, I've, I've gotten to the point, too, where I'm just like, oh, why do we keep sinning? Yeah. <laughs> it's such, I mean, I'm just, you know, like, obviously we know we have power over sin, but there's. Well, life happens, Delaney. Yeah. And different circumstances come up, and all of a sudden you're challenged in this area. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you realize you're not walking the path. Yeah, it, it just it's how life is. It That's part of the journey we have with the Lord is this idea of the repentance and confession and then new life, new growth happens. It's part of the sanctifying process that, yeah. that you're that you and I go through that all the time, too. Yeah, I really do. Um, hmm. You know, God's been hammering on my door for, about a few things and I, I'm trying to pay attention. Yeah. And it's interesting where I'm like, I would have never thought this was a thing I needed to repent over like I did not see this at all and then the Lord reveals it to you and you're like whoa I've been living like this for this long yeah so but yeah. it's merciful of him he doesn't it let us continue in Be- our sin because if he way. just showed you everything today right now boom, yeah we'd be undone yeah but he's very gracious and he kind of 
at least in my life, he kind of shows me something and I kind of work on that and then, you know, get, get, get that kind of an order in my life. And then graciously he shows me something else. Yeah. And he gives you the strength too, I think, to like not be undone by it. Like, I think there's a, there's a, we need to repent and grieve over it, Yeah, but he gives us the strength not to be like in the depths. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, we could talk about this the whole time. Yeah, but for sure. <laughs> let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Let me introduce our topic today. Well, if you have been in Grace Church's uh, Real Faith, Real Works, real, yeah, real faith, real works uh, study through Galatians this year, and also James will be tackling that, um, you will have heard of the Reformation because this is a, a big part of what is in Galatians are some of the truths that was taught during this particular period in history that we call the Reformation. So today we want to go in the depths of the history of the Reformation. We want to introduce you to Christians that you should know. Remember, we've done other uh, series on Christians you should know. So it's very helpful to look at the biographies of godly people and and learn from them. So some of the key reformers, we're going to look at them today. And um, let's just talk for a minute how the Reformation impacts us today. R.C. Sproul has done several podcasts on this topic, and we were influenced by his groundwork on this subject and encourage you to research this topic more on your own. Um, This is something that I know a lot of women wrestle with Mm -hmm. as far as what is the Reformation, um, so many factors that that come out of this, uh, questions that you have. So this is something that you may struggle with for a a time, but listen to us today and to hear the main points of what that really is and what it means. And, um, then it's a process of coming to kind of see how this all works together in our Christian faith. So be patient with yourself. Yeah. And I think we think of the Reformation as really academic and it definitely is, but we also want to convey the heart behind it and the heart behind some of these reformers and their motivations (laughs) of why and, and not make it so, um, you know, like just facts thrown at you. Right, right. So here's just a brief history of the Reformation. In the 15th century, there was a famous phrase, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Mm -hmm. The European Catholic Church was having parishioners pay for indulgences, which was a get-out-of-purgatory Free card, And if you paid enough, your sins would be forgiven. Now, I just want to clarify what purgatory is here. It, purgatory was an, uh, described as an intermediary state where this individual would pay for sins, um, hoping to get purified in order to move on to eternal life. And so living people could give to improve their state. But this is not in the Bible. Yeah. And, and is purgatory, would you say, is it the same concept of hell or is it different? It's different. Different. It's different. It's in between heaven and hell. Like their life is in the balance. And then the church was sure. threatening them. If you don't give money to us, your loved one's going to be in danger of going to hell. Oh, so okay. that mm-hmm. that's kind of the definition of what purgatory is. Um, I do not believe there's a lot of emphasis on purgatory any longer in the Catholic Church. But mm-hmm. you have to understand this is what was going on at the time in the Catholic Church. Not only was the Catholic Church practicing and preaching a works-based salvation, they were manipulating their congregations by teaching that your relatives would be saved if you paid the church enough. Mm. So that's kind of the crux of really what got Martin Luther's attention. Not only could you pay to get your relatives out of purgatory, 
but also you could get yourself out of purgatory. So the indulgences were little stamped slips of paper. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. That assured your salvation. Better not lose them. Card-carrying mm-hmm. Christian, I guess Hello. you would call yourself. Yeah. Get my ID card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just pause right now where you are for a moment and picture this kind of lifestyle that the Roman Catholic Church prescribed. The striving, the unrest, the shame of never being able to measure up, feeling stuck, the fear of your loved one going to purgatory or you going into purgatory. It was hopeless. It was weary. It was unassured way to live. They wouldn't have known or felt how the confidence we have in salvation through Christ. They would be so insecure. They didn't experience rest in the spirit. They never knew God as their never-changing rock because they were always on the every moving sand of works. Mm -hmm. They were in slavery, and they were without the gospel. Mm -hmm. Really, it's called, (laughs) before when this was going on, uh, one emperor, Charles V, called it a cesspool of heresies. Mm-hmm. And he said that, too, after the the <clears throat> abuses were pointed out. But that's a good quote to describe all that. <laughs> it is. It is. And, you know, the Catholic Church did not receive divine revelation from the Bible here. They received their divine revelation from human authority structure within the church. So this quote really does describe this beautifully. God preserves the experience of salvation and holiness from generation to generation by means of a book of revelation, not a bishop in Rome, not the ecstasies of Thomas Munzer and those Y-Cow prophets, whoever they were. Mm-hmm. And the word of God comes to us in a book. The rediscovery of the word of God shaped Luther and the Reformation. So Delaney, let's start out. We've mentioned his name already a couple of times. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to mention him when we talk about the Reformation. Teach us about Martin Luther in a condensed way here. Who really started this movement in the church to correct these um, things that were going on? Yeah, Martin Luther was really the father of the Reformation. He was an Augustinian monk in Germany. He was really known for his devotion to study and prayer. And he had a really interesting testimony, too, of how he even became a monk, which we can't get into all of that today. Um, but I encourage you to look it up. His um, During his study of the word of God, Luther sought to find really assuredness in his salvation and rest and peace in oh, God. I, I have he was he was tortured. He was tormented. It, he was, mm-hmm. which is a huge theme and why he you know, did all of this. And in all his work at the monastery, the prayers, the duties, he was unable to earn the assuredness, the rest and the peace that he really ached for and Mm -hmm. longed for and Mm -hmm. desired. His soul was tormented. And I actually heard that language from R.C. Sproul's um, podcast is that he used that word. And I think that that's a good way to describe where Luther's heart was at in in that time. For sure. I've seen a movie on the life of Martin Luther and the way they portrayed his agony. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was like agony. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he tried everything, all the self-sacrificing and even hurting himself. I mean, oh, just trying to get that peace and assurance mm-hmm. through Absolutely. works. And I think we don't always realize what a gift peace and assurance is until you've lived like Martin Luther did. Exactly. And so in 1510, on a trip away from the monastery in Rome, Luther really had like a rock bottom experience as he saw the abuses of the church that he was so devoted to. And he saw this um, in Rome at a church and what they were doing to the people. 
um, that were attending the church. And he really saw the weight, the shame, the guilt, the pressure that the religion that he served was propagating um, to the people. And so when Luther returned back to the monastery from Rome, he was sent to his doctrinal studies. He was sent to complete his doctrinal studies and, and to become a professor. And he came across Psalm 131, which says, In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. And the Spirit opened Luther's eyes to see the deliverance that was found through the gospel of Christ, not the buying of indulgences. He could be assured in salvation, and he could have peace and rest in God through deliverance in Christ. So Luther also began to recognize that the Bible was the Christian's authority, not the Roman Catholic Church. And the Roman Catholic Church at the time really would just um, change laws. They would, to serve their own purposes and their own agendas, they would twist things and they would make things up. And so he learned from the scripture that salvation was also through faith alone in Christ alone. And he began to recognize just the heresies that the Roman Catholic Church perpetuated. And on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Catholic Church in Germany, which really means that he nailed a document with 95 doctrinal points calling out the Roman Catholic Church's teaching and abuses from the truth that he learned from scripture. Well, needless to say, um, Luther set the religious world ablaze through the proclaiming of salvific truth as found in Romans 1, 16 through 17, which says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we would encourage you to read the 95 Thesis on their own. They're they're pretty um, easy to get through. They're very just like point one, point two. Um, and we can't go over all of them, but here are just some major themes just good, for you to know. Yeah, good way to handle that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Christians are called to repent <clears throat> of sins. The Pope cannot absolve anyone's sin or grant them salvation. The Roman Catholic Church's behavior has been wicked, anti-biblical, and anti-biblical, including their teachings on indulgences, purgatory, and overall greed. Fourth would be Christians should be motivated by love and treat others lovingly. Fifth, one of them says the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel. Oh, I love that one. I do too. And there's more themes, and we encourage you to read them. Um, but that one, uh, that one just really stuck with me, the true treasure of the church. Luther also wrote other doctrines um, from the word, like the five solas. He wrote of the of the liberty of a Christian man. He wrote on the bondage of the will, the great catechism and the small catechism. He wrote a commentary on the epistle of Galatians. This is why this study this year has, has had mm-hmm. so much uh, about the Reformation mentioned and what that really is all about. Yeah, so. that was a key passage for Luther um, <laughs> uh-huh. that he really clung to. Because, I mean, that's what Galatians is all about, is it that is. faith is. is not through works. Right. And I think what's interesting, too, about Martin Luther is that not only did he do all this work, you know, on doctrine, he wrote hymns, a number mm-hmm. of hymns. Like, to me, that was, like, so interesting. You just don't always hear someone, like, writing hymns that has written all this academic work. But I think it shows that, like, Man, this brought him to worship. That's what I was going to say. He was yeah. not only a scholar, he was a worshiper he of God. He felt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wanted to express it. Mm-hmm. And so Luther also appeared in 1521 before the religious and political leaders in Germany. 
taking a bold stand for the authority of Scripture and the gospel. And it was there that Luther uttered his famous words, My conscience is captive to the word of God. He stood up to all of these earthly kings in authority for the gospel of Christ. You want to talk about, for I am not ashamed? Yeah. Well, he suffered greatly. He had to go into hiding. I mean, his life was in danger. He was. He was persecuted, but it was like the agony that he experienced and then the freedom that he experienced when he read God's word and saw how salvation came about. I mean, it was worth worth it to him. Like he was willing to still stand up to these leaders and these authorities and be like, the word of God, like yeah. this is it. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't his word he was standing on. It wasn't yeah. his thoughts. He was standing on what God had revealed in the word of God. Yeah, and I think it's cool too that like, um, <clears throat> I don't think the, I don't think it was Luther's intention to like start this revolution. You know, like it wasn't his like heart of like I'm gonna do all this, but it was it was a soul that was like. I, I'm so captive by the word of God that I can't not say anything, which I think right. is cool. Right. And he did have this gifts from the Lord of teaching and writing and uh, studying, yeah. studying uh, mm-hmm. scholar. So he used it um, for the glory of God Amen. and for the help of the church because of all the corruption at the time. Yeah. Really, it was a time of corruption. Uh, and this can happen not only in the Catholic Church. It can happen in any church at any time. So we need to have people who understand the true doctrines of the Bible mm-hmm. and Every Christian needs to understand so we don't get caught up in the heresies that can easily slip in. So that's really what uh, is a beautiful picture there of uh, Martin Luther that you painted. Thank you so much, Delaney. Well, let's move on to the second figure you might think of um, that's talked a lot about when we start talking about the uh, this uh, Reformation, and that is John Calvin. Mm-hmm. John Calvin was born actually 20 years after Martin Luther in France, and he died at the age of 54. So he was, you know, these people died young. Oh, yeah. Um, he was somewhat of a contemporary of Luther and fought many of the same battles that Luther did in regards to the abuses found in the Catholic Church at the time. Again, Calvin was a scholar who planned to go away. It was his plan, quotation marks, to go to a remote place and spend his life just quietly writing in obscurity. However, God had other plans for him. He had a dramatic experience with God after trying to live out the Catholic faith. He couldn't, but he had this um, conversion experience Mm -hmm. uh, that was powerful for him. He writes that he was inflamed to make progress Mm. in his faith. I love that. Scripture came alive to him. Uh, Calvin broadened Luther's work as a result. Mm -hmm. On his way to Strasbourg, he stopped in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, he was, you know, headed for his cabin in the wilderness yeah. <laughs> to hide, where a godly man came up to him and challenged him to serve the church. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So for the next 28 years, he served as a pastor, brilliantly teaching the Bible. Calvin was loved by his flock. There are two distinguishing characteristics that stand out about Calvin. I found this so fascinating. First of all, he was enthralled by the majesty and the glory of God. Enthralled. Enthralled enthralled by the majesty and the glory of God. I think if you read his work, too, like you can can feel that. You you can see it for Mm -hmm. sure. And then the second characteristic is a result of him being enthralled by the majesty and the glory of God. And that second characteristic is that he was an extremely modest man. Mm. He avoided celebrity. He often wrote anonymously. 
He gave instructions of the most modest burials upon his death. This is what he wanted. He wanted to be buried in a marshy area outside the city where the common people were buried. He wanted a plain box, an unmarked grave. Wow. Yeah. He believed that the gospel radically reshapes our view of self. Life is lived for the glory of another, the Lord God. Okay, is that not a word for that our is a culture? Word. That <sighs> is a word. Um, we are all about celebrity. Yeah. Even even Christian. Yeah, yeah, even Christian. We want, I mean, it's all about we want us to look a certain way. We want tons of followers. And not that those things are bad, but it's just yeah. like this is radically different. Who's got the biggest and the best and the, the widest audience. Yeah. yeah where he, he sought anonymity. He did not want celebrity. And um, that's a real, I think that's a real uh, point for us mm-hmm. because humility is not... Um, treasured today like it used to be well yeah because we live in a culture of self yeah self-promotion yeah it's applauded um branding ourselves yeah yeah. like so this is very different calvin is perhaps best known though for a set of beliefs called calvinism Mm -hmm. you've probably heard that yes as opposed to arminianism Mm -hmm. and we'll get to that in a minute but often these beliefs are called a five-point calvinism or it's abbreviated with the word tulip Mm -hmm. so here's what the five-point Calvinism stands for. The T is total depravity. The U is unconditional election. The L is limited atonement. The I, irresistible grace. The P, perseverance of the saints. Mm -hmm. Now, an important thing to know here is that Calvin didn't put this together, but his followers Ah, put this together after he was gone after he had died and Mm -hmm. speaking to that we did do an episode on predestination and election and all of that so that will help you if you if you want to know more about that specifically go listen to that episode it'll give more yes it goes into some of these points that we just have mentioned that calvin these are those five points is what he taught Mm -hmm. but it was just put into a memorable way by his followers afterwards it's doctrine it is Mm -hmm. so here's Here's the, the, the bullet point of Calvin's theology on salvation. It's this, the sovereign grace of God in salvation. So God is sovereign in the giving of grace for our salvation. Mm. He's sovereign in it. All the people say amen. Amen. I, I'm so thankful he didn't leave it up to chance or up to my little abilities oh. or my my wisdom to find him. I, I would be lost. And, and we get so caught up in like, well... I. I want to be totally in control that I choose. And I'm like, then you would never choose. Right. Exactly. So go listen to the episode, though. Yeah, if it, if it you're helps. like, what are these w- ladies talking about? Go listen to that episode and that like, we were talking about. And like I said, this is something that takes a lot of thought, thinking, and it's time. Wrestling. It it's wrestling. It is not easy. It's not. I, I went through that whole process myself. Oh, yeah. so Still, just, sometimes it's, oh, you just, it's count. It is not always something that is natural to us. No, no yet true. But yet true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now in the mid 17th century, Americans came in to oppose this set of doctrines that that uh, Calvin's followers put together there with the emphasis instead on man's free will. Another little known fact about Calvin was his belief in a republic form of government over a monarchy. Mm. 
And some see this as a possible source of inspiration for our American republic because we're a republic. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, yeah. So it is a, you know, he, he does get talked about in that discussion. Often debated, these five points can indeed be seen in Scripture. Now, Delaney, I've taught the Bible over the years, all these years. I prefer not to refer to myself as being a Calvinist or an Arminian, but rather to have a biblical view of salvation. Yeah, we're or Christian. Or a reformed view of salvation. We're yeah. Christian. Um, but here are two takeaways from Calvin. The sovereign grace of God in salvation, that's his bullet point. Mm-hmm. Another would be to focus our lives on the glory and majesty of the Lord then our lives will be a life characterized by modesty as well. I love that. I think mm-hmm. that I needed to hear that today. Yeah, I think that's a powerful point from his life that people don't know or and even speak about. They just hear those five points and, you know, start to tear him apart. But what a godly man. And I love that it came from um, being enthralled by the glory of God. The glory and the majesty. The majesty of God. Ooh. We are going to see that glory and that majesty and believe me, we will be humbled. Yeah. Who's, who can stand in front of God's glory and majesty? Mm-hmm. We will be face plant. Oh, yeah. At least Oof. that's how I picture it. I, I Although I'll, then I'll hear Christ say, she's mine. Yeah. And I can get up then. Yeah. And he'll help us worship yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> oh, okay. Man. All right. Back to the... <laughs> tell us more. What's, a, what's another person that's helpful to understand the Reformation, Delaney? Okay. We're going to take a stab at this name. Ulrich uh-huh. Zwingli. You think that's right? Yeah, I do. Okay. Zwingli. It's like swinging, but with a Z. Zwingli. Zwingli. Uh-huh. Okay. If we're saying this wrong, nobody Definitely judge us. German. Yeah, Definitely German. Just, all right. We're trying our best. Zwingli yeah. had a short-lived Reformation career. He died young on the battlefield as a chaplain. Oh, bless his heart. Um, as did a lot of the other Reformers, but he was a little bit shorter-lived than the other Reformers. But his impact was great. Zwingli was a Swiss priest who broke Roman Catholic tradition by preaching from the word of God after being transformed through the reading and copying of the Greek text into his own language. So he was impacted by the word of God and started preaching the word of God. And so he began to write against the Catholic Church's false teachings. He publicly debated several Catholic religious leaders in front of his town. And he was so effective in his efforts that the towns of Zurich and Bern adopted Protestantism over Catholicism. Which was a huge deal at the time. I mean, this was, everyone was Rome, like was Catholic. So this was a big deal. Zwingli also fought for reformation in the government as he did in the church. One of Zwingli's greatest works are, um, it's called the, seven, or the 60, 67 Articles, which are similar in a way to Luther's 95 Thesis, a little shorter. Um, but here are some of the major themes. He says that the sum of the gospel as written in Article 2 is um, that, Our Lord Jesus Christ, the true Son of God, has made known to us the will of his heavenly Father and redeemed us by his innocence from eternal death and reconciled us to God. So the gospel was the major theme of the gospel. Um, The second major theme is that Christ is the head of the church and our authority, not the Roman Catholic Church. And third is that Christ is our mediator, high priest, and savior. So there's some, some very, a lot of commonalities with Luther's work here. So this martyr and activist 
had a passion to call out the inconsistencies, the hypocrisies, and the heresies that plagued the Roman Catholic Church. He was bold, he was passionate, and he was concise in his judgments, and he stood firmly on the Bible. Um, In a sermon, Zwingli actually said, and I quote, Victory has been declared for the truth, but perseverance alone can complete the triumph. Christ persevered unto death. Behold these idols, behold them conquered, mutes, and scattered before us. The gold you have spent upon these foolish foolish images must henceforth be devoted to the comfort of the living images of God in their poverty. In confusion or in conclusion, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again to the yoke of bondage. Fear so, not. Okay. Put that in a few words. Um uh, Galatians. <laughs> <laughs> that is what it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? It's it's literally Galatians. Yeah. We're putting other things in, looking to other things for, adding, for salvation, adding to salvation. And he's like, lay and Now down. you're in bondage when you do that. Well, he's like, lay down the idols. Yeah. Lay the rest down. Yeah. And then he continues to say, the God who has enlightened you will enlighten also your confederates and Switzerland, regenerated by the Holy Ghost, shall flourish in righteousness and peace. What a statement. And that statement that he made, um, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was in front of like, I feel like there was an emperor there or somebody, but it was some big leaders and some big political leaders, religious leaders. So he he stood strong. Um, Now, Zwingli's relation to Luther, they weren't like really close or really friends. They had some kind of like political and theological differences, but I think you can definitely get a sense that there was a mutual respect and kindness because they were brothers in Christ. Um, but they also lived, you know, far apart from each other, but their work is, um, different. Whereas I, I, I felt like Zwingli was more, um, he was, a. Uh, they were both bold, but Zwingli had some edge to him, you know, that I was like, when I was reading his stuff, I was like, okay, like, he just had a different personality, I think, than Luther did. Sure. Um, but, man, like, the stuff I was reading and how he stood up in the public forum and then how he actually served in um, for his country and, like, fought in battles and stuff, it was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. It is. It's interesting that these people had uh, political views as well, yeah, isn't it? because he felt like... Sometimes people feel like, well, the church should have nothing to do with what's going on. Well, and his whole thing was that what he had learned from the word should impact the government. Like he was very strong on that. He was more politically minded than I think sure. like a sure. Luther was. Sure. Yeah. Luther was more of a reluctant celebrity. Yeah. He really didn't uh, set out to do this, but I think Zingling was looking for that uh, platform because yeah. he wanted to make these changes in the church. Yeah. Zwingli mm-hmm. strikes me as like a really spicy personality type yeah. too. Yeah. I like that word <laughs> yeah. spicy. Yeah. Well, let's move on, Delaney. There's another one we want to cover here, and that is John Wycliffe. Um, maybe you've heard of Wycliffe Bible or mm-hmm. Wycliffe Bible translators, but have never known that there was actually a John Wycliffe mm-hmm. who was a reformer and in fact called the Morning Star of the Protestant Reformation. John Wycliffe was born in 1328 and died again at 56, again younger, died of a stroke. Wycliffe was actually a forerunner to the Protestant Reformation. Um, So he preceded even Luther. Mm -hmm. He was a Catholic priest, and he saw the corruption at the time as well in the Catholic Church. He was arrested by the church, imprisoned for a time with charges of heresy, 
Wycliffe was a reformer because he openly taught many of the things that Martin Luther himself taught some two to 300 years later. Isn't that fascinating? So yeah. there is a predecessor to sure. Luther, and it is John Wycliffe. And there were probably predecessors before that, yes, too. exactly, exactly. Um, this little feisty priest mm-hmm. spoke out against the power and the position of the pope. He spoke out against the celibacy of the clergy. He spoke out against these religious pilgrimage. He spoke out about selling of indulgences praying to the saints, the immorality of the clergy, and the fact that they were never tried in civil courts but only had special tribunals. And, and How current is that? Yeah, All they were above like, be, getting in trouble with the law. But also, what is the speaking out against the Pope in that time? How was that a really big deal? Oh, a really big deal. Because they were also like... It was a mixture of like a kind of almost a political leader, too, in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. They had sway. The Pope had was really running England. I mean, yeah, he he was the Pope had more power than any earthly king or uh, leader. So think about how messy that could get. Oh, very, very. So these guys are very bold. Yeah. Um, Wycliffe also questioned the teaching of transubstantiation, which is a mouthful, but which is really the teaching that the elements of communion, the wine and the bread are miraculously changed into the actual blood and body of Christ. His, now, his Orthodox legit, believe that, yeah. and so does the Catholic Church, um, where uh, Protestant thinking is uh, that it is representative. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Wycliffe believed that the Bible is the supreme authority, not the church. Again, all, that's the ringing message through all of these yeah, men. The church submits to Christ. Mm-hmm. He wanted people to have access to the scriptures, and this is what is really makes his story unique, so that they could read them, so that people could read the scriptures for themselves. One problem, though, the Bible at this time could only be printed in Latin. Mm. Latin. It's not even the language of the people. The common people could not access this, only the clergy. And that was the thinking, that it was too too important or dangerous of a book that the common man could handle. So it was was. just through the priest. Well, it was, because it could take down their whole thing that they had going on. Right, right. Um, Wycliffe directed the first translation of the Bible into English against the church tradition of Latin only. Copies of these first English Bibles, do you know, Delaney, still exist today? Obviously, because they were so prized. Mm. What a contribution Wycliffe made to bringing God's word to all people, and not just to an elite few. So the takeaway from Wycliffe is this. Know the Bible for yourself. Mm. It alone is the test for truth. Amen. I love that. Well, as we're thinking through these reformers, I think a good a good question to think through is why does the Reformation matter? Like why why is this important? What what does this have to do with us today? How does this impact us? So we are living post Reformation in the wake of the reformers' faithfulness to the Holy Scriptures, and this ought to impact how we live our lives today. Absolutely. I mean, this was a a uh, revival mm-hmm. that went throughout Europe. It was a revival. That's another good word for it. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. First, the Reformation is a testimony of how God's reviving of one man's heart can lead to a revival of nations. God used Luther to spark a much-needed change in the church. It wasn't because Luther was better than us or knew something that we didn't. It was because Luther was absolutely transformed by the gospel in his own heart that he could not stand for it being desecrated. 
He could not hold in the blessed assuredness that he received when he was saved. He would not lie down. And as the blessed word of God was being twisted and misused, he, he could not just stand idly by. Luther acted out of a man who had been reborn. This was who he was. Now he was acting as a new creation. And as you listen to the testimonies of the reformers, this is how you apply church history to your life today. Act as a sister who is reborn. Live boldly, lovingly, and fiercely for the gospel of Christ. This is something to die over. The gospel of Christ is not something that we just let people, whatever. This is something we die over, we defend, and we die for. Right. Second, and this is a quote that I love, it says, It is fundamental that as we live in light of the Reformation, we live in light of the gospel. So we need to live out the gospel in your own heart and in your own life, in my heart, by confessing and turning from sin, preaching the gospel to ourselves, living in victory over sin and death, and through proclaiming the freedom of the gospel to others. And so these are these are the two ways that the Reformation, Reformation impacts us. Act like you are reborn because... God can use that to spark things that you don't even know could well, that, happen. That preceded all of these reformers. Yeah, it know? wasn't like they mm-hmm. were just doing good works. It was they were transformed first. Right. And second, we need to live in the light of the gospel. And I'm going to repeat this, the 62nd point of the 95 Thesis, because it's just so true and beautiful. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. There it is. This is what should be the treasure of our heart. We should be enthralled by this like Calvin was. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just love your point and challenge, really, always to fight to keep the gospel pure, I think is a challenge we always need to be aware of and to be listening carefully to what we're listening to, to what we're thinking, to what we're reading. Mm -hmm. Be careful. It Mm -hmm. can be corrupted so easily. Uh, Another point is what areas of your life need to be reformed? Amen. You know, where have you left what the Bible clearly teaches? That's why we needed the Reformation. They left the teaching of Scripture. So where does your life need to be reformed? Where do you have wrong thinking, unbiblical thinking, maybe overly influenced by our culture? And then are you willing to stand up for the gospel of Christ? Has compromise with the culture crept into your thinking? And self-interest alone now dominates our lives rather than sacrificial, humble living for the Lord and being most concerned about the things of God rather than just our lives. You know? And I think, are you willing to boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ? Are, are you willing to do that like these reformers did? Because they did not hold back. No, they didn't. They so I'm didn't. like, we need to check that in ourselves. of like, mm-hmm. am I caving to fear right now or am I so thankful and tormented by thankful for the grace that I've received, but also tormented for people living in slavery that I'm willing to share the gospel, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me, no matter how nervous I am. Like, has it really transformed me that much where I am willing to do that? You know, if you really believe it's truth, you, you will be willing. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's it. Will you pray? I will. Heavenly father, thank you for these reformers who went before us and really carved out a very difficult road for themselves, and yet, Lord, they brought the church back to truth. Lord, I just, I feel so sad that the Catholic Church went through such a time of such um, 
misinformation and mis- and abuse, Lord. Uh, and I just would pray that you would protect the church today from such things and that we would s- just put all of our attention on the true gospel and help us to be students of your word, Lord, that uh, Wycliffe's efforts were not put to shame, but that all of us have a deep interest and a, a love for God's word and the availability we have of it, Lord. It's so great. We have it on our phones, in our books, everywhere, Lord, we have it. And so help us to take full advantage of that so that we won't be fooled by a false gospel, but we would live in light of the true gospel and be passionate about your majesty, your glory, passionate about the gospel as we share it with others. And may we do so in humility. And it's in Christ's name we've prayed. Amen. 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 Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.